Thank you. Good morning. I get worried whenever Cody says, we got a real treat for you this morning. I don't know about that. Uh, thank you for being here this morning. Um, if you're new, uh, you're a first-time guest, or if you're watching online, uh, my name is Corey. I am not the pastor. Uh, our pastor's away on a mission trip, as Cody just said, um, and this church is full of really good preachers and teachers, and I'm honest when I say I don't think I'm one of them, but uh, for whatever reason, God's got me here this morning, and I believe he has something for us, so uh, thank you for coming. Uh, hopefully you came with a heart ready to listen uh, and apply whatever it is that God might want you to know this morning. And I think he's got a lot he wants us to know. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read the first three verses. I'll give you guys a second to get there. All right. Philippians chapter 3. This is Paul addressing the believers in Philippi. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If you would, join me in prayer real quick. Father, we come to you this morning, God, we thank you, Lord, uh, just for who you are. God, you made it all possible. God, you woke us up this morning. Lord, it's because of you, Lord, the little things we take for granted, Lord, the ability to, to walk, to talk, to see, to hear. Lord, all those things we experience today is because of you. Lord, thank you for bringing us to your house this morning. Lord, Lord I know you have a word for your people, and I pray right now, Lord, that you just get me out of the way. Lord, speak to your people. Give them exactly what they need to hear, Lord. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, who, who by him all things consist, Lord, and because of him all things are here. Lord, I need you. Lord, we need you. Bless this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I titled this uh, An Examination of Paul. Uh, you know, all throughout the Bible, there are a lot of interesting characters, if, and if you've read your Bible. And in the New Testament, you come with a lot of interesting guys. Um, you know, Paul's one of those guys really stayed by the stuff, loved the Lord. God used him mightily, uh, went through a lot, trusted the Lord. Uh, you know, I, I like to think I, I probably identify more with Peter. You know, the guy always putting his foot in his mouth, uh, messing it up a lot. But uh, Paul's just one of those guys that God had a, just a wonderful 
interesting calling on his life, and he used him to do so many things. And, I mean, he wrote a great you know, portion of our New Testament by the Holy Spirit. And uh, I just want to look at this passage of Scripture. I can remember, uh, gosh, some 20 years ago as a young man, having been saved only a few years and uh, just starting to learn some things. And uh, I remember a preacher briefly touching on this, this passage and the Lord speaking to me in, in a church service. And um, I was going through this passage again, and God just took me back there and uh, reminded me of some things. So uh, hopefully you came with ears to hear, and we'll get right into it. So just to give you a little context, Paul is addressing some believers he reached during his second missionary journey. As you know, Paul was a missionary. Uh, he went all, I mean, all over the place, uh, Asia, uh, Greece, uh, Paul was there. I mean, the, the fact that you and I are here today is nothing short of a miracle of God because of the efforts of, of people like Paul. Um, and Paul's addressing these, this city, and this city's full of a mixed bag of cultures. Uh, you have Greeks and Romans there. Uh, it's kind of a central city where uh, a lot of activities going on, um, a lot of different cultures, a lot of different languages. Uh, some, some could say it's probably a lot like Huntsville. Um, and Paul's writing to these believers, as Paul usually does, you know, he would go into a city and he would go into the synagogue and he would reason with people. He would win people to Christ. He would start a church. And then when his time at a certain city ended, he would go on. But he would always write back to those people to see how they were doing and to check on them. And Paul right here, he's checking back. And he has some things to tell them and some things I think the Lord wants us all to know today. So let's, let's look first. Number one, Paul's position. Uh, Paul had a prestigious pass. And uh, your alliteration today comes from the letter P. And uh, it's funny how that kind of just came together. Uh, when we say a prestigious pass, what do you mean by prestige? Well, Paul was a somebody. Um, what kind of a somebody was he? Uh, he was a Pharisee. Uh, Philippians 3, 4, 6 says, he's talking about what he used to be. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. He goes on to say, he's circumcised. He's of the stock of Israel. He's in Hebrew of the Hebrews. In verse 6, he says, concerning zeal, he persecuted the church. Touching righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Paul is a Pharisee. Not only was he a Pharisee, he said he was the Pharisee, uh, the Hebrew of Hebrews. You know, that's an interesting thing to say. You know, I don't know what you do by profession or trade or whatever, but, you know, uh, I, you know, who, who am now offended because Cody said something bad about the government, uh, <laughs> I work for the government, uh, and uh, my, my field of specialty or expertise is uh, budget. And so I'm really good with numbers, um, but you know what? I wouldn't say I am a budget analyst of budget analysts. But Paul said, man, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Man, you know, a Pharisee was someone in his time who was looked at. They were held in high prominence, high regard. They were the creme de la creme. Um, if you looked up a Pharisee in the dictionary, Paul is saying you would see his picture. Um, you know, when he says, hey, I was circumcised this day. You know, I have confidence in the flesh. And we know 
if you read your Bible, God tells us, you know, not to have any confidence in our flesh because we are nothing, we're sinful. Paul said he had confidence in his. He said he could keep the law. That's pretty, pretty strong language. You know, essentially what he said was, you know, I'm a, I'm an NFL player, but not only am I an NFL player, I'm the starter, uh, I'm the quarterback, we win every game, uh, we win the Super Bowl every year, I go to the All-Star game every year. That's what Paul said he was as a Pharisee. Uh, you know, Pharisees are a lot like you and me, religious, careful of traditions, you know, put a lot of emphasis on uh, religious activity, uh, able to spout out scripture, although I would argue most Christians today can't quote as much scripture as they should, but they were held in high regard, and they, they cared about what people thought of them, and Jesus talked about that, you know. They loved to be out in the synagogues and have people call him rabbi. Uh, you know, they wore long clothing. Uh, it was glorious, so people knew, hey, you know, I'm somebody. You know, Paul, he knew the law. He lived the law. He believed in the law. You know, he was a lot better than, than we are. He lived what he believed. Acts 8, 3 says, as for Saul, this is before his conversion, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. If you go to Acts 9, 1 and 2, it says, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priests and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, the way of Christ, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So here's a guy who has so much prominence that he could go to the high priest with a letter and say, hey, I want to go kill these Christians. And with full confidence that the high priest was going to give that to him. You know, like I said, I, I'm a budget analyst. And I'm, uh, I work on a G staff, is what they call it, and it just stands for general. And I'm four positions removed from a, a general. Um, and there's no, no way I would ever walk into a general's office. Uh, I would ever even email him. But Paul was a guy who believed and lived uh, what he believed in such a way that he was able to petition people of greater prominence for things. But you know what? Something transpired in his life, and that's where we see the next point, a providential present. In verse 7, it says, but what things were gained to me. So he's talking about his past. So obviously, you know, when we speak in the past tense, we're sitting in the present looking at something that's already happened. He says, those things I counted loss. And when you see the word but in your scripture, you know, it highlights things usually that contrast. You know, you could almost say except. Like, you know, tomorrow I'm going to start a diet, but it's Monday. And so I'll wait some other time. Uh, <laughs> so where is Paul's present standing as he writes this letter? Paul is an apostle. In Romans 1.1 it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Galatians 1, 13 and 15. And this is Paul talking about his past. For ye have heard of my conversation or lifestyle in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceeding zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Verse 15, here comes a but. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. And you notice there, twice he said, God called him to be an apostle. God called him by his grace. You know, Paul was unique. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. You know, 
So God has revealed to me things to him that, what, that were not known before then. God revealed to him the mystery of the church, which none of the prophets or the priests or the kings or anyone in the Old Testament knew of. They had no clue it was going to even happen. God revealed that personally to Paul. You know, like I said, God used Paul to write, you know, of the 27 books in your New Testament, he wrote 13 or 14, depending on where you, you fall on Hebrews. Uh, he's a man who was such a Pharisee who believed what he believed, that he persecuted the church, put Christians to death, and now you find a man who seeks to build a church. And not only does he seek to build a church, he endures prison, hunger, shipwreck, beatings, death threats, false accusations, and he does all this happily. Why? Because he had a calling on his life. If you saw there, I'd say he was called to be an apostle. In verse 15, it said, God called him by his grace. And you got to wonder, what happened to this guy? How does a man who's interested in the law of Moses and self-righteousness and trying to justify himself before a holy God with his own works, his own efforts, who would go as far as to kill Christians because, you know, he really believed he was doing what was right? How does a man go from that to being a man that the whole, God would use the Holy Spirit to write books of the New Testament, to win many to Christ, to start churches all over the world, to affect us who live today in the 21st century, even though we never met him? What happened to him? Well, he goes on to clarify the path, faith. See, the path of Paul's past to his present is faith. You know, he's able to look back and see some things that happened, and now he's, he's living in the present in a totally different situation. He's a different person. He's a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And he only do that because of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that in Philippians 3.9. He says, and be found in him. And him is Christ, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Ephesians 2, 2 and 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's not anything I can do, not anything you can do. It is the gift of God. You know, Paul realized that, you know, he had dedicated his life to, to something that was of no profit. And I'm sure it would be kind of hard if you woke up and, you know, you dedicated your life to whatever endeavor, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, you've given all your time and your, your resources and your efforts and just your brain bandwidth and, you know. And then one day to realize, man, it's nothing. Uh, it means nothing before a holy God. You know, Paul had a past of self-righteousness where he believed that he knew enough things, enough rituals. He held enough traditions. He could quote enough scripture. And if you didn't know it, a Pharisee, I mean, they would have had to learn the law. They spent years learning the law. And when, if you look at the law, that's 600 plus commandments in the law. Uh, it all starts from the, the Ten Commandments, but then it, it spreads. Can you imagine trying to learn all of that, keep all the traditions, all the rituals, dressing correctly, saying the right things, being the right things all the time? I'm pretty sure that people who were Pharisees, people of that ilk, thought they were something pretty special before the Lord. But Galatians 2 says, For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Romans 5, 5 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have, we have peace with God through our Lord 
Jesus Christ. Brother and sister, uh, if you are a brother and sister today, you're only a brother or a sister in Christ because, because of faith. You had a calling. The Lord called you. You answered by faith. Um, you are not justified by anything you can do. It's amazing that all around this world, and if you go out, if you're active in witnessing to people, you ask a person if, if they think they're a good person and just watch what kind of things will come out of their mouth. You know, most people like to think that they're good and that God's going to weigh their good versus their bad. And all around this city and all around this world, uh, there's religious activity going on. Uh, uh, within Christian uh, circles, uh, within other religious sects and things going on, uh, many people are doing works. They're observing traditions. Uh, they're even, you know, saying prayers. Uh, some of them offering, you know, themselves up because they think they're making themselves right with God. But I want you to know you can only be justified by faith. And Paul understood that. After a life he spent being a Pharisee, he turned away from that. He met the but. And he turned to Jesus Christ through faith. And the key is your past does not have to determine your present. Um, I don't know where you are this morning. Um, you know, it's, I wouldn't say most Americans today would try to justify themselves before God based on their job. Uh, but a lot of people do try to justify themselves before God based on the things they do or don't do. But I just want you to know, if you're saved, you have a past. Regardless of the prominence or lack of it, who you were in the eyes of people or who you weren't in the eyes of people, what you've done, whether it's good or bad, you, I, and everyone else in this, this whole entire world, we're all in the same boat. We're a sinner in need of a Savior. And you know what? Paul understood this. And mine and your life before Christ is best illustrated in Ephesians chapter 2. This is Paul writing here again. And you hath he quickened, or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past, in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or lifestyle, in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Verse 4, another but. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Again, by grace are ye saved. Uh, and I'm, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful. What I realized, uh, man, back in August of 1997, it wasn't on me. Uh, I couldn't be good enough. I couldn't keep the law enough. Uh, I couldn't justify myself before the Lord. I was a sinner. I needed him. He made the payment, and all I had to do was take it, and I accepted it. And I'm so thankful that that message was clear to me. And I'm hoping today, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, that you understand that message clearly too. You can't work for it. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your prominence or, or, or lack thereof. We're all sinners. We all need a Savior. And Jesus Christ is the one. You know, Jesus said that many are called, but few chosen. You know, if you remember back before a few slides, uh, Paul said he was called to be an apostle. Uh, you know, just like Paul, if you're saved today, you have a calling. Um, you know, you're called to be saints, if you read your Bible, all throughout the New Testament. You're called to be Christ's servant. You're called into holiness. 
You're called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. You're called into the kingdom of God. You're called unto his purpose. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.9, which is not in your notes, says, Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And you know, because Paul understood his calling, he had a perfect perspective. And this is where we need to pay attention here. Paul's perspective. Next to your blank, Paul counted everything in his past and his present apart from Christ as loss. And you see that in verse 7 and 8. He says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Verse 8, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge in Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. So he says count. He uses this word count. And, you know, when you're a little kid, you learn, you learn to count. You know, we think of count with numbers. Uh, but, you know, what does this thing of count mean here? You know, it means to weigh or consider the worth of effort or investment in something. You know, are you getting the best bang for buck? Uh, you know, like when you go to a buffet, I think that's where you get the best bang for buck, right? You also get, you know, indigestion. So um. now, you know, when it comes to, to, to counting the cost, we do this naturally. Every single person in here, if you've ever bought a home, I know ladies, you know, you got to have a specific type of kitchen. It's got to be so big. Uh, you know, the bathrooms got to be on point. I know those are the two things, you know, as a guy, you know, you know, up until recently lived as a bachelor for forever, and so I literally could have lived in a cardboard box as long as I had a refrigerator, a TV, and a bed. Uh, but now that I'm a married man and learning some things, <laughs> you know, I'm learning to count the costs. And you have to ask yourself, you know, is it worth it? You know, if you buy a home, you count the costs. You know, when it comes to schooling, uh, a lot of times, you know, I know a lot of you, uh, the younger folks, you know, you're, you're about to enter high school or in high school, uh, you're about to leave, and you start making decisions that will affect the rest of your life, and you know, you count the cost of what school you're going to go to. You're literally counting the cost of it. Your parents are, I'm sure. Uh, you know, you think about distance. You think about the type of curriculum. Uh, you think about, hey, where will this put me in life in the next few years? You know, we count the cost uh, when it comes to hobbies. For those of you guys who love to fish, I'm not one of them, by the way. Uh, you know, you count the cost. You have to have the, the, the right kind of lure, uh, you know, the right kind of, got to know the right places to go, bodies of water. Uh, I guess, you know, a boat, if you got that. Um, you know, some of you right now are counting the cost and where you're going to eat for lunch. You know, literally how much you're going to spend, where are you going to go, what you're going to eat, the distance. You know, we do this naturally all the time, every day. And the reason we do this is because it comes down to the central thing. Is this blank worth it enough to me? We do this in every facet of life because one of the things we hate as people is feeling as though our time or our effort is wasted. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about counting the cost. If you look at Luke 14, verse 27, it says, this is Jesus talking. And whosoever doth not bear his cross... And come after me cannot be my disciple. 
For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. And you know, like I said, we, we do this naturally. And Paul was able to count the cost. And I'll ask you today, are you able to count the cost? And I want you to know, you really don't even have to make a decision about that, you know, consciously. You're already doing it. Whether you think you're not, you've already counted the cost in some things. And we can see it in your everyday life. You can see it in your everyday life. Maybe I can't see it. You know, to follow Jesus, you will need to count the cost because it will cost you something. You know, it costs you time to read your Bible. It'll cost you, you know, time and sweat equity to come up here and serve. You know, all the things going on this morning don't just transpire. You know, me, even though I'm a nobody putting a sermon together, believe you me, that takes time. It takes effort. Our, our praise team, they have to come and practice. That takes away from their families. Uh, you know, all the many things that go on up here, the food, the coffee, anybody serving, you have to count the cost. You know, you have to count the cost when it comes to prayer. If you want to pray like you ought to, like we all ought to, it's going to cost you some time. You know, if you're involved in discipleship, those 18 lessons will, will count you. Sit across somebody and pouring your life into them. You know, you're taking time from yourself, from your family. You're spending time with someone hoping that you can impart the words of God into their life. You know, you also have to count the cost to follow Jesus when it comes to things you love. Maybe there's some hobbies you would rather be doing. Right now, I'd rather be sleeping. <laughs> you know, I'm a person who likes comfort. We all do. But you got to count the cost. Is it worth it? You know, if you're going to biblically give like you ought to, to your local church, to missions, it will cost you your resources. Have you counted the cost? Is it worth it? That's what Paul was looking at. You know, when he counted, it's interesting. Paul says in verse 7 that he counted, past tense, but in verse 8 he says that he counts all things. That's present tense. See, a time will come that you'll have to count, you know, whether it's worth it to follow Jesus, whether it's worth it to you to get saved. But as a Christian, as long as you live, you'll have to daily account. Just because you did something in the past doesn't mean you're going to do it in the present. You know, we have the 52 weeks of pursuit. Maybe you read your Bible all the way through last year. Guess what? Maybe you did it this year. Next year, that's another year. Tomorrow's not here, so you'll have to wait to decide if you're going to count the cost tomorrow. Every single day we make that decision. You know, I had this joke with myself. Um, every morning I get up, and I, I go to the bathroom, and I look in the mirror, and I go, oh, yeah, there he is. What are we going to do today? Are we going to do it the Lord's way or are we going to do it my way? And that's, you know, brother and sister, what you got to do every single day. So you, he looked at when he counted. He looked at the past. He looked at the present. He understood that his future is uncertain, but while today he counted. Then you see how he counted. This was interesting. In verse 7, he says he counts as loss, his past. In verse 8, he goes on further to say that he counts it but dung. That's some strong language there. 
You know, you think of a, uh, like a runner, for instance. Um, I know you can't tell now looking at me and my current physique, but a few years back, I really started getting into running. Uh, 2019, that was the year I turned 40, and I had put it in my mind, I am going to get into the best shape of my life. I'm going to be in better shape than I was in high school. And I actually reached, you know, reached that. And so I had to you know, research nutrition, make sure I got good sleep. Uh, you know, when you're running, you want to make sure you got the right kind of shoes. It takes time to run. You have to, you know, build up endurance. Uh, you know, studying all these different things, you know, because I was really getting into it. I really wanted to be in good shape and, and, and do well for myself. Uh, can you imagine being a world-class marathon athlete, uh, researching all the nutrition, all the gear, all the proper sleep, all of that, getting to the finish line, and the judge says, you win nothing. Not only that, Paul said he counted it as dong. So imagine that judge said, not only do you get nothing, but here's your bag of dung. And you know, dung is a funny thing. And I know some of you are like, why is he talking about dung? Because the word of God says it. Uh, you know, dung can be used as fertilizer, but it can also be off-putting. And I would think for the vast majority of us today, um, for us, <laughs> dung is not something we carry all, around. You know, Paul is saying that the, those things, being a Pharisee, his life before Christ, the enticements of this present day, amounted to a little more than waste, because that's all dung is, wasted time, wasted efforts. He, said, he was saying it was a wasted life. You know, we don't take our dung and carry it around with us. We usually leave it. And Paul was able to do that with his past, but he was also able to look at his present and the things that didn't matter, that were of no eternal weight, and count them but dung and let go of them. You know, the Holy Spirit goes on to use this word gain, and he uses the word gain to get our attention. And I think he does that uh, especially because he knows that we would be here today uh, in the 21st century, and knowing that the average Christian today is more interested in his pocketbook than he is in the things of the Lord. You know, Revelation says we're rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing, and that's true. I think all of you probably drove a car here today. Um, you know, all of you have nice clothing uh, all of you probably have, you know, money to spend on extracurricular activities. And none of those things in and of themselves are bad. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes we're more interested in gain. Paul says those things that were gain, they were nothing. You know, we work, we fight for, we spend time and resources to acquire more. You know, there's a saying that there are many things that the world has for me to gain, but... What does the world's gain gain me? God has a lot to say about gain. Proverbs 15, 27 says, He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, but he that hateth gifts shall live. You know, Jesus knew our hearts, and he spoke right to the crux of the matter. He didn't beat around the bush, you know. He was nice when he needed to be, and when he needed to be mean, he could be mean. And he knew how to cut exactly to what people needed. Mark 8, 36, he says, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Absolutely nothing. What you gain is nothing, dung. That's what it is. 
And your key is when we seek to gain those things that do not profit from an eternal perspective, we choose to suffer loss. And you know what? All of us today, everyone here, I don't know you all, but I want you to know every single person here, and Paul included, is a loser. And you're like, what? You know, there's not many times you, you come to church and you hear a guy stand in a pulpit and call you a loser. But I want you to know we're all losers. We're losing in some respect. We're losing something. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. Let's look at it. This is speaking about what we're all going to see one day if you're a believer, the judgment seat of Christ. If you're saved, the Lord Jesus dealt with your sins on the cross. But there is a judgment for you and for me for our works. Verse 11 says, For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And if you've been around here long enough, you know, we talk a lot about the judgment seat of Christ. And I know some people are probably like, man, I'm tired of, I'm tired of hearing about that. You know, I just, can we talk about something else? But when you, when you really put it into perspective and understand that everything we do now, we're going to answer for that. It's all heading there. And I think a lot of people think, you know, I'm going to coast through life. And sometimes the Lord will let you coast. But you know what? Every single day of your life, you're building up on that foundation of Jesus Christ. And you're building something. You're building something of worth, of eternal weight. You know, there's only two things in this world that are eternal. That's the souls of men and the word of God. And those would be the two things that God would have us to be interested in and working towards. Um, every single day you're building. Ask yourself, what are you building today? Are you going to receive a reward or are you going to be like many people? You're going to see Jesus, but you're going to suffer loss. I don't know how that all shakes out. I just hope it's not in front of you all. <laughs> but be rest assured, it's coming. If we would live every day with that in the forefront of our mind, hey, I'm living today. What am I doing today? And what is what I'm doing today, is it going to matter from an eternal perspective? Is the Lord getting praise from this? Is what I'm doing helping other people to know Jesus? Or am I just living for myself? Or am I staying with that? Am I just staying with that dung? Next, we see Paul's pursuit. It's number three. Verse 8, 9, and 10. He says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Again, losing it all. And I do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. So Paul had a pursuit. He saw that the things behind him were, were nothing. But he lives in the present, and he knows that 
The present is, what's ma- is what matters. For you and me right now, all we got is today. We don't know what's, what's happening later today. Uh, I don't know what's happening in the next hour. All I have is right now. And while I'm in the right now, I need to have my mind on the pursuit. What was Paul's pursuit? The excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. You know, it's the most precious thing you and I can pursue today. Because when we pursue that, we position ourselves to pursue a flow, outflowing of the things that matter to the Lord. And this knowledge is only found in his word. Proverbs 1 and 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Where do you get instruction? Instruction is usually written down. It's usually spoken. It's word. Proverbs 23, 12. Apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. Proverbs 8, 10. And this really speaks to us. Receive my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. You know, Hosea 4, 6, the Lord's talking to Israel. He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Thou hast rejected knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. That's strong words. You know, if you go through discipleship here, you go through the seven levels, you learn about you know, you start out as a baby, and then, you know, you're a little child, young man, and I'm probably getting some of those mixed up because I'm a little nervous here. But you go through, through seven levels of growth, and you know you start with faith. And from faith, you go to virtue. And virtue is just doing what you know to do. Because God's not going to give you more until you do what you know to do. And there's plenty that we all know to do, but a lot of times we don't do it. But then the next thing God tells you to add is knowledge. And it's interesting. So, you know, he wants me to build up on my faith, virtue, doing what I know to do. And then I build the knowledge. You know, a lot of us are interested in hearing a cool thing from the Bible. Uh, Maybe we're entertained by a certain preacher or we we find things just awesome, you know, that we can learn and go and tell other people about. But are you really looking for knowledge, the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you can apply it to your life? so that you could be pleasing to him. Ephesians 1, 17, 18 says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's what God wants for you. That's what he wants for me. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. There again, it goes to his calling. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints See, a lot of times we want the riches and the glory now. And, you know, we don't seek those things above where Christ sits in the right hand of God. If we would seek for his glory, you know, we would get the riches later. And it's so funny, it's always a paradox. You do this now so you can get this then. Or you can enjoy this now and you can forget it later. A lot of times that's the, really the, the crux of the matter for us, balancing the now with eternity. You know, Paul says he did all this so, A, that he may know him. You know, I would say uh, the most important person we can know in this world outside of a spouse uh, or, you know, a best friend, a parent, is Lord Jesus Christ. 
And Paul understood this pursuit was, was paramount. In John 17, 1, 3, Jesus said, These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. You know, it's interesting that you can't really know God unless you know Jesus. In verse 3 he says this is life eternal. You know, in verse 2 it says eternal life. And I think there's two meanings behind that, you know. You can come to Jesus and get eternal life. But when you have life eternal, are you doing things now? Do you know him in such a way that you'll have rewards, praise when he sees you for doing things that made a difference that will affect eternity? And you know what? The only way to know God is to know Jesus. You know, it's, it's funny. Not many verses in your Bible speak directly to knowing God. It always speaks about knowing his word. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Get you guys to turn to at least one passage of scripture so Jay doesn't throw me out of the church. You know, you ask people all the time, hey, how do you, you know, do you know God? And people will tell you, you know, quick to know, oh, yeah, man, I know God. You know, okay, you have a relationship? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. You ask them, how do you know God? And you'll get a range of, of, of answers, some right, some wrong, some just flat out crazy. This is how you know God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. We've all heard that before. Man, we just don't know what God's making for all of us, man. It's just going to be so glorious. I can't even imagine. Um, verse 10. It says, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Verse 11, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Verse 14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. If you're not saved this morning... You can't know the things of God. You can't know God because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 15, but he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Verse 16, for who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But he says, but we have the mind of Christ. Where do we have the mind of Christ? We have it in his word. And brother and sister, if you're going to know the Lord, you've got to spend time in his word. You've got to count the costs. Uh, that's a daily thing you've got to decide you know, Paul knew Christ as his Savior, but Paul knew Christ as more than just his Savior. He knew him as his Lord. He knew him as his provider, his supplier, his king, his comforter. Do you know the Lord that way? The next thing, he wanted to know the power of his resurrection. Romans 1, 1 through 4, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God, which he had promised before by, by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which is made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Romans 1, 1 and 4. Jesus spake 
unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Who has all the power? Jesus has all the power. In Luke 4, he says, When Jesus was in the synagogue, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word, his word, his word was with power. You know, the reason we have a lack of power today is because we're not spending time in the book. If you can't get into the book, the book can't get into you. I remember a, a man saying a saying to me years ago, um, and it's so true, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. And if you want power in your life, power over sin, power for ministry, power, power to do anything of any eternal consequence, you're going to have to get in the book. You're going to have to know him. You know, we're all called to the Great Commission. That's why we're here. Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You and I can't be witnesses without his power. And the thing is, he's already promised it. We just have to take hold of it. But it's up to you and me daily to make that decision. The reason we have dead services, dead Christians, and really people literally dying and going to hell is because of a lack of the power. Then Paul says, the fellowship of his suffering. And I promise you, we're about to wind it down. You know, when Jesus was, before he was on this earth, it was foretold that he would suffer. Isaiah 53, 5, which is a famous passage, says he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. You know, the Lord endured a lot. When he was on the earth, he told his disciples over and over, hey, I'm going to suffer things at the hands of evil, sinful men. And he did. He went to the cross for us. And, you know, if you ever looked up Roman crucifixion, that type of death, that in and of itself is suffering I would never want to be a part of. But he went further for us. He took on our sin upon himself. God the Father had to turn his face from him. I can't understand what kind of suffering he went through. But did you know that God, his will for us is to suffer? to have the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, Jesus is not asking you to die for anyone on a cross for their sin. Jesus is not asking you to take the wrath of God. He already did that. But 2 Peter 2, 19 says, For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Romans 8, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. See, the thing is, Paul wanted a deep intimacy with Christ. And in order to do that, he had to go through some suffering. And I would, you know, dare say we probably don't really suffer here in the U.S. I've been to some parts in the world where people really do suffer. You know, when you... 
where you have to walk hours and hours to church and then hours and hours back home and then hours and hours to work, you know, they'll make you count the costs. There are people all over this world who count the costs and they suffer. There are people meeting today uh, in communist regimes, in places where you can't say the name of Jesus, where they're holding church secretly under the worry that any time the government could come in and execute them because, you know, it's, it's against the law. You and I don't live like that. I don't know, maybe it'll get like that one day here in the U.S., but I, I, I don't see it anytime here soon. You know, it's interesting. It says if we suffer with him, we should also reign with him. And we have this idea that it's our best life now. That's a promise, guys. If we don't suffer, we, we won't reign with him. It's always an if. If you're going to know Jesus on a deep level, it's going to require having some fellowship with his suffering. You know, one of the things you can do, and maybe it's just because I'm a weirdo, um, when I've, you know, I've been around church world, as some people say, for a while, and so I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of missionaries, a lot of preachers. And, you know, everyone likes to come and hear the great mountaintop stories about, you know, the good times and, oh, man, you know, you wouldn't believe. Went out to a village and 10,000 people got saved, you know. You know, I like to do, I like to pull missionaries to the side and ask them about the times when it just absolutely stank. When it was like, hey, when was the time you were ready to give up, throw it in the towel, quit on God, and what happened? And those are some of the times they'll give you some, some stories and some answers, some things that God taught them things. And through that, they, they came to a deeper intimacy and knowledge of Christ that they never would have had had they not gone through it. And if you and I are going to know him intimately, we're going to have to suffer some things. I would say if you haven't had someone say something bad to you because you've mentioned the name of Jesus, that's, that's the least you as a Christian today could go through. You've witnessed to someone and they've laughed in your face. They told you, slammed a door in your face. If you hadn't even gone through that, are you really suffering? And you know, the key is my pursuit of the knowledge of Jesus Christ is evident by the fruit or lack thereof in my life. And I promise you I'm winding it down here. Luke 6 43, for a good tree bringeth forth not corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns do men not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. You know, when you, when you grow an apple tree, you don't get peaches. And you know, fruit only comes when you abide in the Lord, abide in his word. John 15, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. And you know what? The thing about fruit is, you can see if you have it in your life. And I'm going to be honest with you too, a lot of other people can see if you have it or, or the lack thereof in your life. Well, let's wind it down here. Paul's purpose Why did Paul let go of the things he let go of and pursue the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Why did he want to know him? Why did he want the fellowship of his sufferings? He wanted to be made conformable to his death. 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. It's like I told you, you know, getting up every morning, looking at yourself in the mirror, Am I going to die to self today? What am I going to do? 
Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, I can't really truly live for the Lord. It's the Lord living through me. But he can't live through me if I don't die to myself. When Jesus died on the cross, it was a total surrender. He gave his life for us willingly. You know, the Bible says he gave up the ghosts. And you know, that's, that's really what God wants to see from us. When he looks at me, he looks at you, he doesn't want to see our sin. That's why you find over and over in the New Testament, God tells you to mortify, which means to kill. Mortify your members, all the evil things. When he looks at you, he doesn't want to see the lies. When he looks at you, he doesn't want to see uh, the backbiting, the hate. What he wants to see is his son. And the only reason, the only way he can see that is when we decide to die. Your key is when I decide to die, only then can I truly live. And Jesus said it perfectly in Matthew 16. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, and that's what Paul was doing, pursuing the Lord, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. There's that thing of losing again. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And brother and sister, as we wrap up here, I want you to know everyone in here today is a loser in some regard. Either you're, you're unsaved or you're going to lose and miss out on the chance of eternity with the Lord. Or either you're saved and like Paul, you're losing out on things right now that don't profit eternity. You're willing to put those things away from you. You're willing to focus on what really matters. Or maybe unlike Paul, you're losing out on serving the Lord now and being faithful to him. And at the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to suffer loss of reward. So only you and the Lord know. I'd like you to ask yourself, where are you? Just be honest with yourself between you and God. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Pardon if you would come. Um, you know, I don't, one thing I try not to do because I'm not capable of doing is I don't try to re-preach something that's better than I could do. Uh, that was a good word, brother. Praise the Lord. Um, one thing, you know, in your peas, though, I will do it. In. Paul is the pattern. Paul is the pattern that we need to pursue. Uh, and so why do we examine him? Because our life should look like him. He said, if you want to follow Christ, follow me, right? And so I think, I think that's a good word for us. Thank you, brother. Uh, if you will, by your heads, uh, we're not going to have an invitation, but I do want to give uh, just an opportunity uh, just to kind of uh, make sure that we know where we stand. Uh, Lord, I do pray that right now that we, as we kind of close this out, uh, I pray that we really examine ourselves. The, the message was that we examine Paul, but uh, to do that, we have to examine ourselves. We have to look at our life and see where does it measure up. Uh, all of us would be honest. To, we don't measure up to the stature and fullness of Christ. Uh, none of us do. We're not even close if we want to be honest. Uh, but I do pray that, first of all, that we look at our lives and make sure that we even know Christ as our Savior.
you know, all of those things, the, the past that we have, uh, it doesn't matter if we don't know the Lord. Our present doesn't matter and our future doesn't matter uh, because we can have a lot of things, but if we don't know Christ as our Savior, then we're going to spend eternity in hell. And if we don't know that today, it's really very simple. All we have to do is just uh, ask the Lord to save us, uh, to really just say, Lord, I know that I've broken your heart and I've broken your laws. Uh, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe, according to 1 Corinthians 15, that you died according to the Scriptures, that you rose again on the third day uh, according to the Scriptures. I believe that for my salvation personally, uh, and I accept your payment uh, for my sin, not anybody else's sin, for my sin. Uh, and I confess you as Lord. Uh, and what that means is, is that from this day forward, I'm going to follow you. Uh, and you can do that right now in your seat. It doesn't have to be anything special. Uh, it just needs to be from the heart uh, and with belief. And God's word says that you shall be saved. Uh, and I pray that if somebody here needs help with that, that they would come see me, come see Corey, Josh, somebody in this church will take their Bible uh, and show them how they can do that. Uh, please don't leave this place without doing that today. Uh, and for us, as we, as we do this, you know, as we look at our lives, for us as believers, uh, when we examine ourselves, uh, where do we stand? Do we see fruit? Do we have that fruit that's going to remain at the judgment seat of Christ? We all are going to stand and give an account. Uh, for the things that we've done in this body from the time that we have accepted Christ uh, till the time that we die or till he raptures us and takes us home. Uh, you know, what would our life look like? What would our, the work that we have, what would it look like? Would it be counted as loss? Uh, would, it, would, it, would we suffer loss or would it stand through the fire uh, to give honor and glory to Jesus Christ? And I pray that if we don't have that kind of work, if we don't have that kind of fruit, then we start today and just say, you know, from this day forward, uh, Corey talked about that, that when we look at our life and we look in the mirror, uh, you know, what, who are we going to serve? Well, today we can start by serving the Lord, and we make that choice each day. And I pray that each one of us would uh, be able to stand and do that in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. I'm thankful for uh, just the fact that we can gather and I pray that we take this, we don't, you know, this was a good word, but I pray that we take it uh, out to the lost and dying world uh, and we start living it out because uh, God and Jesus Christ are worthy of that. We love you and all these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so, you know.